October has always been a month of mixed emotions for me. I love the fall season and enjoy seeing the trees change their brilliant colors. Autumn has long been my painter's palette and my writer's muse. However, three life-altering events have also happened in October, which always give me pause. One, when I was 11, I had an overnight stay at my grandma Laura's house that shook up my young life. Grandma and I had been watching television on her small black and white set that she kept in her bedroom. She went to use the bathroom and after a few minutes, I thought I heard some strange noises. I turned down the TV and realized it must be grandma. So I cautiously went to the bathroom door and asked if she was okay. First, there was no answer, then a strange moan. I opened the door slightly to find grandma lying on the bathroom floor. I didn't comprehend what had happened at the time, but learned afterwards that she had suffered a major stroke. Although she lived another year or so after that, she was never able to walk or care for herself again. Her speech and memory were all but gone. As far as I was concerned, I had lost my closest grandparent that evening in October. And for several years, I carried guilt for not being able to save her. Two, when I was 16, my father left for work one sunny October morning and never returned. We got a phone call from Detroit Receiving Hospital while mom was baking an apple pie and I was getting ready to go to the mall with my girlfriend. My younger brother was practicing his drumming skills in his room while my two older siblings were away at college. Not given any details, but told there was an accident at the furniture store where my father worked. My mom, brother, and I went to the hospital only to find out the, that the accident was actually a burglary that ended in my father's murder. My father was a kind, calm, and generous man. It didn't make any sense that his life could end in this violent manner. It was a shock to my family, our friends and community. Like many murders in Detroit during the 80s, my father's crime was never solved. And for me, more questions were raised than were ever answered. Three. A more recent October tragedy was the day my nephew Liam took his own life. He was 15 years old and there seemed to be no warning signs. He had friends, a girlfriend, plans for the future. He was involved in sports, church, and scouts. When my brother called me, I really, really couldn't believe it. Jason and I immediately drove to Ohio to assist in any way we could. Of course, we felt helpless. There was a huge outpouring of grief and support in the community, but we were all at a loss for how to move forward. My pain will never be as great as my brother and sister-in-law losing their son, but it was still another October day that had sent shockwaves through my life. Now, I don't wanna leave you all on such a sad note. So let me also say that I've had great affection for October. Besides my love of trees and their changing colors, 
I also have a love of apple picking and fall baking. If you drop by my home in October, you're likely to find an apple pie, apple crisp, cinnamon coffee cake, or ginger cookies. Jason and I also enjoy hiking and the cooler temperatures and less bugs in the fall make our hikes much more pleasant. October has a certain look in the sky and a distinct scent in the air and a holiday that many children get excited about. At UUCCI, October is when we have our annual memorial celebration. So today I think of my grandma, Laura, my dad, Jerry, and my nephew, Liam, with great affection. I recall how each of these people who seem to leave my life a little too early have brought me joy and love and just a gift of knowing them. So as we gather for this service, remembering those within our hearts and families, those among our congregation and community, and those beyond our little corner of the larger world, I'm very thankful that we have this opportunity to be together, to celebrate the people who have touched our lives and support each other, whatever the stage of grief we may be passing through. Friends and family of UUCCI, please come and let us worship together. Tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch, to love, to hope, to dream, and oh, to lose, a thing for fools, this love, but a holy thing to love what death can touch. For your life has lived in me, your laugh once lifted me, your word was a gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. Tis a human thing, love, a holy thing, to love what death can touch. Thank you, little Richard, for wearing my socks thin on the kitchen floor. Those words, which maybe we have all memorized, um, can't be said without a worry on the shoulders. I've practiced that for a long time. I remember dancing at home with my older siblings to your music, knowing it would be okay if my parents walked in because it was safe. It was categorically an oldie. This week, listening to your album straight through several times and watching your videos for the first time gives me continued energy, makes me smile, and makes my feet impatient. Thank you for sharing with us your music, your piano, watering the roots of rock and roll so that we can enjoy the bounty of music which grew forth. What a gift you've given to us all to facilitate joy, dancing, shaking, making a fool of ourselves at weddings, dances, or in our own kitchen while listening to you scream for more. I didn't really get the whole John Prine reverence when I first started listening to him. 
the songs were so simple and I sort of dismissed them. But when I met Tim Grimm, my husband, and I heard him sing John Prine songs, and then when we were lucky enough to do many iterations of the Pure Prine show at the old Phoenix Theater, I got so that I understood the genius of the man as a songwriter, as a teller of tales, and as a sort of everyman. When you sing a song a couple hundred times, to get to live inside of it, and singing a whole night of songs as we did in that show, I was blown away by Prime's ability to touch people's hearts as well as their funny bones. I'll leave you with a few of his stunner lines. Blow up your TV, throw away your paper, move to the country, build you a home, plant a little garden, eat a lot of peaches, try and find Jesus on your own. It's a big old goofy man dancing with a big old goofy girl. Ooh, baby, it's a big old goofy world. They say old trees just grow stronger. Old rivers grow wilder every day. But old people just grow lonely, waiting for someone to say, hello in there, hello. Please don't bury me down in the cold, cold ground. I'd rather have them cut me up and pass them all around. Throw my brain in a hurricane and the blind can have my eyes and the deaf can take both my ears if they don't mind the size. And finally, you can climb the highest mountain, touch the moon and the stars above, but old faithful's just a fountain compared to the glory of true love. From an early age, Katherine Johnson counted everything. Dishes she was washing, steps from her house to the road. If something could be counted, she counted it. There was no public education for blacks beyond eighth grade in her West Virginia hometown. So the family moved to enable her to continue her education. She graduated from high school at age 14 and from West Virginia State College with a degree in mathematics at age 18. Two years later, in 1939, she became one of three blacks to desegregate the graduate school at West Virginia University. She's best known for her time spent at NASA. She did trajectory analysis for Alan Shepard's flight in 1961. Before his flight in 1962, John Glenn famously asked that she hand-checked the calculations that computers have per had provided. If she says they're good, then I'm ready to go. She worked on every major space program, including the space shuttle, until her retirement in 1986. In 2015, at the age of 97, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama. That recognition and the release of the film Hidden Figures, the following year, elevated her to a position as one of the best known women in the field of space science. Mrs. Johnson passed away in February of this year at the age of 101, leaving us with an enduring legacy of scientific accomplishment and fierce determination that led to the toppling of many racial and gender-based barriers.
Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till, you voice, till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at, to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you, you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Most people knew Neil Peart as legendary drummer and primary lyricist for Canadian rock band Rush. Although I appreciate the songs he wrote and his widely recognized drumming skills, it was through one of his seven books that I felt a deeper connection to him. In Ghost Riders, Travels on the Healing Road, Neil shared his cross-continental motorcycle adventure grappling with the loss of his longtime love, Jackie, and 10 months earlier, their daughter, Selena, the two tragedies were enough for Neil to give up drumming until he could heal. Sometime during the 55,000 mile journey, Neil wrote, without knowing it, I had identified a subtle but important part of the healing process. There would be no peace for me until I learned to forgive life what he, it had done to me, forgive others for still being alive, and eventually forgive myself. Neil did heal on that long road and returned to his music. In 2013, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with longtime friends and Rush band mates. He died January 7, 2020 at age 67, but not before he had touched countless lives through his words, music, and life journey. In the late 60s and early 70s, women's liberation was making a lot of noise. Helen Reddy's song, I Am Woman, was an anthem to a lot of young women. It was a call to wake up, to demand our rightful place. The stereotypes and the limitations of the 50s were being tossed aside. 
I remember singing it at the top of my lungs, feeling like I could do so much more than I'd been led to believe. I believed when hearing that song that I was strong and I was invincible. It helped change the way I viewed myself. So thank you, Helen. Your music brings memories of driving through the cool nighttime Michigan countryside with windows open and heater at full blast. The freedom and surge of fresh cold air made the world clear and within reach. However, those moments just wouldn't have been possible without my mixed CD in my cassette adapter uh, and songs like Lean On Me, which would allow me to just belt out the lyrics satisfied by hitting anywhere between 40 or 50% of the right words. Thank you for letting me sing along with you off key to the longing Ain't No Sunshine, which tricked me in thinking I sounded so good. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It was all you, of course, and I'm grateful for your music that will be with me, with us forever, giving us a link back to teenage years, memorable moments, loud or soft evenings, and simpler times. As out of compost, compost does the lily grow, so from the refuse of our lives, beauty can be born. The seed does not spurn the low earth, excrement of worms, but completely gives itself, is buried in it, fortified and transformed, taking refuge in that which the world casts off. Therefore, lay not aside your griefs, but like the good gardener, gather rich green weeds of mind, dung of low and mean intent, dry bones of despair, ashes of burnt out desire, twisted thorned prunings, which your heart rent, water with tears, while the alchemical fire burns and purifies until you are not weed, but hummus, rich, black and sweet, ready for seed. Kobe Bryant was an assassin, not in the literal sense of the word, but most certainly on the basketball court. He gave himself the nickname Black Mamba because he thought the Black Mamba, an extremely venomous and aggressive snake, best captured his on-the-court approach to the game. Trust me, as a non-Laker fan, I felt the pain, but I respected the skill. After spending his formative years in Italy, where his father played basketball professionally, he returned to the U.S. and in 1996, at the age of 17, was drafted to play in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. By his second season in Los Angeles, he was an all-star, a feat that he duplicated 18 times 
during his 20-year career. After retirement in 2016, he did not leave basketball behind. He became an outspoken supporter of the WNBA, the Women's National Basketball Association, and coached his oldest daughter's middle school team. But he found much to do beyond basketball. He won an Academy Award in 2016 for Best Animated Short Film. He wrote a book and was working on a second one, a children's book. He was deeply involved in many charitable endeavors, mostly in support of kids. Kobe Bryant's life was a life cut short, but nevertheless, a life well-lived. He embodied those laser-focused traits that can inspire us all to excellence, not just on the basketball court, but off the court as well. A man who grew up in the Jim Crow South, Representative John Lewis lived a life of courageous service and most notably getting in good trouble. He believed and advocated for folks to get into good trouble and fight for the elusive beloved community that Dr. King dreamed to be near. John Lewis experienced the violence of racism, the violence of the militarized state, and yet he persevered by never losing his hope and fiery passion for civil rights. He took this passion to the United States Congress where he served as a representative for over three decades. John Lewis brought, fought tirelessly for those without a voice, for those at the margins, while always remembering the struggle he had been up against his whole life. As a child, he was called preacher, and while he never became one in the traditional sense, he added his powerful voice to countless efforts to form a more perfect union in this country. From Bloody Sunday to the Million Man March, from advocating for equal rights legislation to leading a sit-in on the House floor, Representative John Lewis never stopped getting into good trouble. And though he is now laid to rest, though he has made his final pilgrim, pilgrimage across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, his goodness and troublemaking lives on in all who side with love, who fight for love, all who believe that we can and must do better. And so we, as Unitarian Universalists, continue to say something. We continue doing anything we can do to fight like hell as we give thanks for a man who, has, who was born in the Jim Crow South and ended up an American civil rights hero. I was cooking dinner when I heard the news of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death and I burst into tears. It was like hearing the news of the death of a good friend. Of course, I didn't personally know RBG but like so many other women, I felt that she knew me. I felt that she had been working her whole life for me, for my sisters, for our mothers, 
my girlfriends, and most importantly, for the girls and women of the next generations. I think most of all of you know of her many amazing accomplishments, the powerful opinions she wrote for the court, and many of the landmark cases she won. Or if she lost, she made news and broke new ground with her eloquent minority opinions. I want to tell a story and quote the journalist Margaret Carlson in her essay about RBG called The Legal Giant. The longer Ruth lived, the wider her reach and the deeper the appreciation for her years on the bench. At the opening concert of the National Symphony Orchestra in September 2019, Kennedy Center Chairperson David Rubenstein introduced all the dignitaries in the audience. When he got to the justice, women rose to applaud her. Then the men quickly joined in until everyone in the hall was standing, looking up at the balcony, cheering and whistling as if they had come to tell her that they knew what she had done for them and not to hear Shostakovich's piano concerto number two. This wasn't an audience of liberals, but a cross-section of the city touched by the once young lawyer who saw unfairness and quietly tried to end it during her 60 years of public service. Throughout the decades, Ginsburg quietly persisted through discrimination she would seek to end, through the death of her beloved husband, Marty, through more illness and debilitating treatments than any one person should have to endure. Without complaint, holding on and holding out until sheer will was no longer enough. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, thank you, thank you.